Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We're going to go right to our, our speaker. Uh, Pamela Holloway is going to give a, a quick update from last time she was on of issue of food, food shortage, etc. And then we go to our special guest of the day, Lawrence Schaefer, and I'll introduce him in just a moment. But first of all, let's have this report from Pam. Welcome back to the uh, World you. Network, Pam. Give us an Thank update. Thank you. Well, the update is since the conference, we have launched Radical Resilience within um, one local church and we're planning another church here. We had 255 individuals show up. They've broken into groups and now they're working on their various respective areas. The goal of all of this is hands on the ground, actually taking and working through the steps of building what we wanna see physically going forward, forward. So we have healthcare providers, agrarians, homesteading, food storage, construction, communication security, all of these different areas that are standing up to create a system that creates the resilience in the community that we want to see. It's one thing we keep talking about all of these things. We've got a lot of fantastic people that are going all across the country right now saying, do this, do this, do this. But the criticality is we have to have a proof of principle that takes those concepts looks forward and actually walks it out rather than constantly just talking about it. So that's what we're actually doing on the ground now with Radical Resilience here in Colorado Springs. Uh, the, the, is it primary house through one local church or multiple local churches? At this moment in time, we're standing up the proof of concept in one local church. And then we have other local churches that, and, and churches across the region that have already reached out and said, hey, can you sign us up next? But the key is you have to have a community. And, and the criticality is, I know we've got a food shortage coming. Yes, it's an issue. But even in that, we've got to look at it from a biblical viewpoint. What the Lord is doing is he's calling his people together. He's having us focus on relationships. He's having us focus on coming out of that industrial mindset of consumption and instead having us focus forward as producers coming together in community coming together in relationship and trusting him for the bounty of abundance beyond so i'll give you an example i just got a report from the president of resort standard david stesser he said that his wheat production this year looks like a normal year it looks fantastic the problem is the resources from the past are now missing. So basically the emergency bank account's been drawn down to virtually nothing. And this is the type of thing I'm seeing all across is that you know we're getting this picture at the national level that's very bad and, and the international level. But when I'm looking at things local level, when I'm looking at things and I'm walking alongside the other followers of Christ who are in the agrarian sector, they're like, I've got a bumper crop this year. I'm doing great. At which point I'm like, hmm, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Wow. If other uh, churches want to be taught by you what you're doing, how can they contact you? Best way to reach us is www.radicalresilience.health. That's www.radicalresilience.health. Dot health. Correct. Uh, okay. Um, 
anything you want, I'm going to go to Lawrence here in a, in a minute. So is there anything more I should have asked you, but I failed to ask you? We need to go back to scripture and look at Genesis 2.15. Genesis 2.15 calls us to be stewards of the earth. And a lot of what we're experiencing right now is the failure of stewardship. The failure to practice agrarian principles as the Lord told us to do so in scripture. When we go back to that agrarian biblical mindset and live our lives in that manner, and I'm not saying everyone needs to go out and be a farmer, but we need to have that mindset of production. We need to have that 200 year mindset of, of mindset of building towards the future, building for our grandchildren, stewarding what we have. When we take that mindset, I think we'll be rather amazed at how much the Lord rewards that. I know the Bible is written in an agrarian culture. You grew up on a farm, if I remember correctly. Correct. I, grew up, I grew up on a farm. So we certainly when we read that. We have a grasp of a lot of the language. The language is intensely agrarian, agriculturally uh, written. But for the typical person today, including me, I've long since moved away from the farm. I live in a city, in a large city, and I've lived in large cities for quite a few years. What is realistic? Can a person do anything on, say, one acre? Or what, was it you at the Future Conference? Was it you or someone else at Future Conference who talked about even a shipping container in which the equivalent of five acres of productivity could occur within that by the equipment? Was that you or was that a different speaker? It was a different speaker that talked about what we could do in a shipping container. And there is a lot we can do there. What you're always going to find me going back to is you're going to find me going back to the soil because there's activity, mycorrhizal activity that occurs in that soil that is like the, uh, the secret sauce that we really don't see anywhere else. Now, there's a lot we can do on a single acre of ground. There's a lot that we can do from an apartment complex. We can use grow bags. There's a lot that we can do to produce. The real key to all of this is the process of production, the process of growing, isn't just the final product of what we consume. It's, it's the relationship that moves through with the people, with the soil, within ourselves and how the Lord speaks to us as we move through those processes. So I'm really looking for people just to get in the act of creation, whether it be, you know, sprouting something, planting, you know, anything just produce something with your hands other than typing on this computer all the time that really does a lot from a tactile perspective from a communication perspective and how we align with the lord boy when you talked about not being on a computer all day i'm under conviction right now you got me zing you won that one uh pamela you always you always bless me you always encourage me you remember the first time i heard you i went wow this lady's really got it together we got to have you back again and, uh, and and turn the whole show to you and, and have you do a Christ training course. Okay, will you come back on? I would absolutely love to. And as much as I can do to continue to support that agrarian mindset and going back to scripture and allowing just the Lord to come in and work with us. Beautiful example I'll share with you just before we jump off. We had a 19-year-old girl who is was set on her way to, to medical school. Brilliant mind. She became very ill at the college from the food supply at the college got so sick she couldn't make it there anymore that was last fall this time 
God put us in a position where we started working with her and uh, just talked to her. She decided to come home at the uh, semester break um, at Christmas time. She came back and we started working on supporting her physical health, started working on aligning her a little bit more emotionally and spiritually with the Lord. And now she is producing on one acre of land she's the most amazing homesteader she's a chickens rabbit she's got a garden that i'm jealous of and is actually stepping forward starting a seed bank and is starting to train other people to do the same this is all in under one year because she got aligned with the lord and went into that act of becoming a producer and a creator and i'm just watching the lord bless it bountifully one of the aspects of the image of God is he's a creator. And so when we function in that capacity, we, we're, we're living out the Imago Dei, the image of God in part. Pamela, one more time where people can reach you. www.radicalresilience.health Radicalresilience.health Pamela, right. thank you so much. What a joy to have you back. We're going to have you back again to do a, an in-depth teaching. And uh, so thank you so much. We're going to go right to Lawrence Schaefer. I met Lawrence at the United Nations at an event, a side event, the United Nations 77th General Assembly, I believe. He was seated to my left. We struck up a conversation. And I said, man, I, I wish I knew what this guy knew. I, I got to have him on. I got to learn from him. So Lawrence, in all your busyness of schedule, thank you for coming on. Lawrence Schaefer. I'm, uh, Lawrence, I'd like you to take the first minute to two minutes to give your life history, uh, tell who you are. Okay, give us an overview because you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're like an Iowa farm boy, right? Absolutely. So, so back, I'll, back I'll in the beginning start. of the time. Yep. And, and I'm a Kansas farm kid. Now, the, our two states almost touch. If it wouldn't be for Missouri and Nebraska messes us up and won't let the two states touch at the corner, but we're close. Uh, I want you to uh, just give an overview of your life for the first few minutes, then, then teach us what we need to know about what is happening, the reality regarding the food chain, and how do we prepare properly for that? Lawrence Schaefer, joy to have you on. Take it away. Absolutely, thank you, Jim. And <laughs> this is uh, this has uh, been amazing. Um, I appreciate you guys' uh, invite to come here on your network and talk about this. Um, you know, talk about a walk on the Lord. Uh, this this has been really amazing having this walk. In 1982, I graduated from high school. A week later, I was off to the military in the Army because my dad wouldn't sign a, a, a loan for me to go to college. And I was going to go play in a, a McDonald's band. Two people from every state were selected. I was selected, and I was supposed to go away playing the band for the McDonald's, but I never went, so I went off to the military. Well, what was the instrument you played? Uh, trumpet, trombone, and tuba. Oh, my God. I was a trombonist, but I was terrible. McDonald's would have never had me. <laughs> well, tuba was my specialty, classical tuba, actually. But anyway, off the point. So growing up on a dairy farm, 500 acres, milking cows, baling hay, all that stuff, my dad didn't believe in automizing anything. Uh, we were very manual in everything we did. Uh, we had a, a like a one-acre garden. Um, we pickled. We canned. Um, we dried things. We uh, smoked things. So we had a, a massive under uh, under the house basement storeroom where we kept all of our supplies. Um, so, you know, talk about a sense of resilience. And then from there, after the military, I ended up in the D.C. area. I got a job with uh, U.S. Capitol Police in 85. Uh, and at the same time, I joined the reserves. 
And uh, then I got a chance to go to OCS to get my commission from enlisted to becoming an officer and running uh, big projects in the state of Maryland. They sent me to Panama to run operations down there for a bit. And then they sent me over to Bosnia to run operations over there for a bit. And then I came back to the state when everybody else went over to the desert and I ran statewide operations in Maryland for the uh, general in the state of Maryland. At the same time, I was still working Capitol Police. But anyway, I retired uh, December of uh, 2019. Uh, prior to retirement, about five years, I started this business with the whole aquaponics thing, jumping back into uh, agriculture and food security uh, because I wanted to get away from continuity of government, exercise, coop stuff, emergency management, you know, disaster management. Some of that really has a play in what we're talking about here because there is a sense of resiliency in, in disaster preparedness, emergency preparedness. Um, but anyway, getting to the uh, agriculture conversation, um, I got an opportunity in 2015 to work with the University of District of Columbia, and I built their aquaponics system. They had some leftover money uh, from a grant um, and because they couldn't get their systems to work right. And so they gave me an opportunity with two greenhouses and a shipping container. They had an aquaculture operation in a shipping container, two 2,000-gallon uh, fish tanks and um, Three of the IBT totes, they're 250-gallon plastic uh, barrels type of thing that was all set up in the shipping container. So I connected the uh, shipping container system to the greenhouse system as a, a closed-loop system for aquaponics. And basically, aquaponics is nothing more than you have a very large uh, set of fish tanks, take the fish waste, you process it with a multi-stage biofilter convert it all to liquid fertilizer, and you pump it to a set of plants that are growing in grow trays with no soil, no chemicals. Plants uh, suck up all the waste, clean the water. They grow really fast, really big, very nutrient dense. Uh, that's another catch word, nutrient dense. And once they clean the water, the water goes right back to the fish. So it's constantly looping. Um, and the only water you're losing is from evaporation with the plants uptake. And as long as you're replacing that water, you have a continuous running system. What you can grow in the system on the fish side of things, your only limitation is it has to be a freshwater fish. Um, and we we categorize the freshwater fish in two categories. It's basically a school-based fish and a non-school-based fish. The reason why I categorize them that way is because school-based fish uh, can be more densely packed in the fish tank. They require less space. Uh, to move around because they all move around together. Non-school-based fish are your bigger fish, like your salmon, uh, your sturgeon, things like that. Uh, they require like a cubic foot of water for per fish. So they require more space, plus the volume of water passing through that forces them to swim has to be a higher volume of water and the circulation system has to be different. Anyway, on the plant side of things, I don't want to get too technical into all this. On the plant side of things, there is no limitation. The only limitation is your imagination and the vertical space you have to deal with. Uh, we played around with cacao, tea plants, papaya, grapes, blueberries, blackberries, kiwi, fig, strawberries, uh, all kinds of leafy greens, uh, turmeric, uh, uh, basil, uh, a variety of different herbs, uh, garlic, onions, carrots. So pretty much anything you want to grow, you can grow in the system. And uh, what she was talking about earlier, the microbiology, microbiology, the same bacteria, because when you fertilize a field, if you're using animal waste, like farmers do, the plants can't absorb that fertilizer in its raw state. 
it has to be converted molecularly um, from its state into a right compound state with the right electronic charge that the plants can then uptake it. So what does all that work in the soil is the bacteria. And the same bacteria that do that conversion in the soil are the same bacteria we're using in the biofilter that do the conversion of that fish waste from the ammonia, we'll get into chemistry, ammonia nitrite to a nitrate so that the plants can absorb it properly. Um, so uh, microbiology is a big thing in what I do. Uh, I'm a uh, professor at Bowie State University where I am now because I left UDC after that one semester and I moved over to Bowie State. Uh, Bowie State is up in Maryland and I built a system in their rooftop greenhouse. They're gonna buy a larger piece of property in Bowie, Maryland to allow me to expand to a, a much larger greenhouse to continue the operation because we really want to inspire the minds of the young people so they can see what the potential is and do a hands-on lab because if they don't see it, a lot of times they don't really get it and understand it. Now that they can do a hands-on practical, they can really see it. Um, but my business now doing aquaponics, um, we're venturing off into larger commercial operations like 100,000 square foot to produce like 500,000 pounds of food a year to generate like six to seven million dollars a year in revenue to produce like 60 to 80 jobs a year depending on every country we're getting ready to go down to guyana on the 20th the 21st of this month south america uh potentially cranking up operations in a few african countries as well um but really starts off with workforce development and training programs because when you look at these kinds of operations uh the aquaponics, hydroponics, and aeroponics, the controlled environment agriculture inside, the difference between all of those is the sourcing of the nutrients for the plants. Um, hydroponics and aeroponics use a synthetic-based liquid nutrient. It's not natural. So aquaponics uses the nutrients that come from the fish waste. It is natural. And the only thing you're injecting into that whole system is the fish food. And we source a very high quality fish food. There's no corn, soybeans, chicken byproducts. It's all natural. We're even looking at plant-based stuff to replace fish meal. Uh, so we have less of an impact on the oceans and the environment uh, in making the fish food. Um, so we're playing around with some recipe stuff with the fish food as an inject to the system. But anyway. Um, so what, what, go back one, one couple <laughs> sentences here. So the sort, you got hydroponics, aquaponics. Did you say a third? Aeroponics. Oh yeah. Okay. Walk us through again what uh, what all of those are, and and then one of the questions I'm going to have is uh, the average person is listening is going to say, well, I can't do this. He's got a hundred thousand ah. square under a greenhouse roof. Is this something they can they can do in a backyard patio or uh, do it in your do it in your basement, do it in your kitchen, do it in your wherever you want to do it. Uh, they they have kits that you could buy online, or you could do one yourself. A basic system is a fish tank with some fish, obviously. And you have a pump in the fish tank that pumps the fish water. Uh, on a smaller scale system, you really don't need a external pump so much because you're not generating a whole lot of fish waste because you really don't need a lot of fish waste to fertilize a tray of plants. And so in a, in a shelving system, buy at Home Depot, whatever, you put a plastic tray up above filled with like clay balls or depending on the kind of food you wanna grow, if it's leafy greens or herbs, you take a piece of foam insulation, the pink foam insulation stuff, and you make uh, little holes in it, like one inch holes, because there's this stuff called rock wall. It's uh, basically a material. They come in one inch squares. There's a sheet of them, like 96 squares in a sheet, and that's what you germinate the seeds in. 
So when you're buying seeds from the store, you germinate the seeds in the rock wool, you break off one of those one inch squares, you plug it in the hole in this floating raft that floats on the water, the roots grow down in the water, the plants grow up above. And so your pump that sits down in the fish tank with whatever fish you wanna use, the freshwater fish, if you want ornamental, if you're not gonna eat the fish, whatever, you want koi, you want, you want to raise the fish, you want catfish, trout, whatever. So all the fish waste then is moved by that pump up to that grow tray and it goes in that grow tray and then the plants then suck up the nutrients and then the overflow of that grow tray drops right back down to the fish tank. Okay, I if you're a, gonna, my wife yeah, go just, just recently, I'm breaking in because I want to make sure we keep people with you because what you're saying here is frankly quite exciting. Uh, <laughs> at some point, I want you to back up and talk to us is is the break in the food chain serious but we'll have you come back to that uh, later. right yeah, yeah my wife and i just recently got we, we're not experts on it by any means because we're too new to it but vertical garden uh or tower garden now it doesn't have fish but it does have the recycling water and and we're learning the, the plants about 36 plants or so or 32 whatever it is about the side we were shocked when we put it in boom they grew like crazy uh we, we had, we had right. a lot very 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 quickly and you, but you got to keep up with it, obviously. So it, it, you, you said hydroponics, aquaponics, and aeroponics. One more time in layman's terms, the difference between those three, and then go right back to where you were and continue. So all three, the plants grow in no soil. And based on the type of plants in like plastic trays, uh, we build our trays like a foot deep. And for leafy greens and herbs, those specifically, they grow in what they call a floating raft system or a deep water culture system. So basically we take a pink insulation board that you use on your house. Uh, you can't use the white insulation that has the little pebbles on it that falls apart because it'll get into the water, the fish will eat it, it'll start killing stuff, it'll break down. So don't use that, it's not food safe. Uh, use the pink insulation stuff. And basically that raft, we call it a raft, floats on the water. You make holes in that raft that those pieces of rock wool with the germinated seeds, because the seeds have to germinate about two weeks, they'll be about two, three, three inches high or so. Once they're two or three inches high, they got a little root ball, root stem that's already started. You break that square off, put it in the hole, the roots sit down in the water and begin to grow. And that's where the plant will stay for its whole life until it gets to growing. What leafy greens usually take about four weeks to get full head for harvest. Two weeks for germination, four weeks for full full harvest. Um, and the herbs are just an ongoing, once you harvest, you clip it back, it continues to grow. You, know, you never have to replant them or anything. Um, so herbs are an ongoing thing. But uh, then tuber and root plants, all your tuber and root plants, we usually grow those in a perlite bed. Uh, if you've ever used the white uh, pebble stuff that you put mixed with potting soil, you can buy it at Home Depot or any of your hardware stores, and you use this white pebble stuff for water retention in soil for your potted plants. So it retains more moisture in that soil for potted plants. Well, we use that white perlite. So you ever uh, see a potato or a carrot that's deformed? And the reason why it's deformed as it's growing in soil, it hits a hard object like compacted soil or a rock, and it grows around it. Well, you use the perlite because it's very light and there's no resistance. So when you get carrots, they're perfect. You get potatoes, they're perfect. And you pull them out and they're, they're just perfect. There's no deformity at all. Um, and what we do is we run the nutrient mix down at the bottom one inch. 
And since this stuff is so porous, it sucks it up like a sponge. We call that a wicking bed. So we use that for all of the tuber and root plants. So anything that's not a leafy green or an herb or a tuber and root plant, we put in our clay ball bed. So you have these little clay balls. They're probably, I don't know, about a half inch in diameter. And they're porous as well. And we do the nutrient mix down at the bottom one inch and they suck up into the clay balls because it's porous. And then grapes, watermelon, cantaloupe, uh, peas, tomatoes, anything else that's not those other two categories, you can grow in the clay ball bed. And the things get crazy big. Um, and so that's that's basically the system. So the plant side of things is hydroponic. So aqua, aquaponics is nothing more than aquaculture and hydroponics together. So when you talk about hydroponics by itself, they're not using fish waste to fertilize the plants. They're using a synthetic-based liquid nutrient. So when you made your tower garden, you, it came with nutrients, right? It was a pre-mixed mix that you put down at the bottom and yes. it pump, pumped it. Yes. Right. Yes. That's so it, correct. It's a synthetic-based liquid nutrient. It's not natural. The plants will grow off of it, but they're not going to be that nutrient-dense compared to what aquaponics provides. The same thing for aeroponics. Now, aeroponics is a little different than hydroponics because there's a medium that the plants are placed in, then the roots grow down and they grow down into a sealed chamber that inside that sealed chamber is misted, this mist, it's a water mist. It has all the nutrient mixed in it, just like hydroponics and the roots of the plants then suck up the nutrients from that mist. So there's no standing water at all. So that's the difference between the different systems. Do If someone wants to get into this, and I hope many of our listeners do, what do you have a website that coaches them in the basics or do you have training materials or videos that can take people one step at a time on this uh youtube is full of this stuff uh we're not yeah we're not in the home home market the individual user we're because when you talk about economies of scale if you're really trying to make an impact on the food uh system in the u.s you really have to talk about economies of scale that's the reason why farmers go look for 200 300,000 5,000, 10,000 acres of land is economies of scale um, to really have an impact on the food system here in the U.S. So there are home-based kits. There's YouTube videos full of this stuff. Uh, practice and play. Uh, what what harm are you going to do if you if you kill a few plants? If you mess something up, uh, just don't get your plumbing wrong so you end up having water everywhere in your house. So So if a person has a Let's say they have a patio, it's 10 by 20 feet. You're saying they can do something in that small an area? Well, now, weather, so temperature is an issue. Um, the bacteria require it to be above 70 degrees. And you don't want to go really above 85 degrees on the plant side of things or the fish side of things. So you have that range there. We like to have a happy medium about 75 degrees for everything because the bacteria are the key to that whole system, in aquaponics anyway. Uh, you're not dealing with microbiology in, in uh, hydroponics or aeroponics. You're just putting the chemicals in and, and the plants are sucking up the chemicals and growing. So you don't really have to worry about temperature so much. Um, but when it gets cold, the plants are gonna be affected, obviously. So you have to be considerate about temperature. I live in San Diego, where if you're long, if you're really close to the beach, it's sunny and 70 every day. <laughs> So All you're perfect, right? <laughs> but most people, most people don't have perfect weather. So 
are you saying if, if they if they live in most parts of the country where they actually have four seasons and it could get really cold or really hot uh then this is this is highly problematic well that's the reason why you have to do it indoors that's why they call it controlled environment agriculture because you're controlling the whole environment of your agriculture growing environment not only temperature but humidity airflow uh, you're controlling the nutrients for the plants being absorbed. You're also controlling the light. Uh, we don't need to rely on traditional light. We can do LED light. If you think of the sun as a RF spectrum, uh, think of it in terms of that way, uh, sine, cosine with the wave. I, I know we're getting crazy in, in some math stuff, but think of uh, the, the sunlight in a series of spectrums. There's a certain light spectrum that you need for leaf growth. There's a certain light spectrum you need for blossom growth. There's a certain light spectrum you need for fruit growth. And so you, you can maximize LED lights with broad spectrum LED lights to highlight all of those because you'll have some plants that are in different stages of growth. So we can use LED lights to simulate the sunlight and do everything indoors. And they have grow systems like that out there, rack grow systems for in-home use. Yeah, I've, uh, I've certainly, when we, when we got our, our vertical, or our tower garden, uh, we recognize we saw the evidence. Most people use them indoors. Uh, we don't because we're in San Diego. Although it can get, we're far enough out from the beach, it can get hot where we are, and it can it can burn the plants. So we we have them actually shaded uh, to help protect them a, a, a little bit. Um, I'm going to take you to the macro and then come back to uh, consumer usage. How serious? Talk to me about our nation, and if you need the globe. How serious is the threat of a serious food supply problem here in America? Okay, so let's let's have a starting point, your grocery store. When you look at the products in your grocery store, let's take chicken, for example. It's common, everybody, unless, of course, you're a vegan or something like that. Um, and on that case, we look at tomatoes even. Um, tomatoes even a better example. Commercially grown tomatoes out in the field or lettuce, heads of lettuce, thousands of acres of heads of lettuce. California is a big producer. They have lots of producers all over heads of lettuce. Um, have you seen the recalls? When the recalls happen, how big of an area is one recall? Well, sizable, I guess. Right, right. Many states are involved in just one recall. And that goes to the consolidation of resources, not the growers, but the processors and packagers, like the packing plants, if they have an infection of E. coli or something at a packing plant and they do distribution from one packing plant that you got infected meat, they, they do recall and it affects many states in one area. That's a problem in our, that's a vulnerability. And when we do talk about vulner, vulnerability assessments, different than threat assessments, so vulnerability assessments are looking at weaknesses in the in a system, whether it's IT, whether it's, and we're talking about food systems here. So look at the whole end-to-end uh, -end value chain of the product that you're looking at in the form of uh, tomatoes. They have to uh, get fertilized. So now the fertilizer industry, where are you sourcing your fertilizers from? Um, how is the transportation logistics industry getting the fertilizer to the farmer? Does the farmer have the money to be able to pay for that fertilizer? Is the farmer getting a, a gap loan to cover the cost of that fertilizer until he gets harvesting? Does he have to buy insurance in case the harvest doesn't come in, something happens, weather or whatever, 
and the insurance covers then those loans so that he's covered in, in the long term. Um, and so you have to think about that whole value chain that goes into the farmers and the manufacturing plants that make the fertilizers and what energy sources. So now we get the connection of the energy and the water. What energy sources are those manufacturing plants now using to produce that fertilizer? So there's a lots of pieces that go into the one tomato and the quality of what the, so the planting and the harvesting is mechanized, it's industrialized, you're using tractors, you're using combines, you're using discs. So fossil fuel is being burned, the cost of fuel obviously is a big factor on things. Uh, the cost of equipment, the cost of getting equipment fixed, the cost of labor, the cost of insurance for labor, the workman's comp insurance, the, everything you have to go that goes into a whole enterprise is important. Then water. So we talk about uh, fertilizers and heavy use of ammonia and anhydrous uh, for traditional industrial large corporate farmers. Uh, they use a liquid ammonia and anhydrous and they inject it into the ground. I've, um, I've, uh, I've, I've driven those rigs and I've fertilized it. And, and okay. I know the mistake of turning at the end of the field and raising it too quickly and, <laughs> and getting a whiff of that about knocking me out. So. So imagine the the runoff, right? There's all kinds of reports about chemicals uh, from runoff from fields out into the aquifers and regular, any of that chemicals that are not being absorbed by the plants potentially could leach into the ground and would go into the water. And where does it go from the water? It gets into the plants and even into the grasses that and other hay and alfalfa that are fed to animals. So it's not just the plants, it's not just us, it's also everything else that we're eating. So it's plants and the animals that potentially have micro parts of those chemicals. They talk about microplastics that are in our food as well, that's in the water, because it's broken down in the water that comes to us. All the plastics that we're using, a lot of states now are, are going plastic free or they're charging for plastic bags. The fast food places are going plastic free. They got little uh, paper straws or whatever and biodegradable stuff. That's a whole new industry that's coming online now with biodegradable uh, food packaging pieces. So that's, that's just some of the uh, vulnerabilities. So, so uh, in terms of a, a threat analysis, how vulnerable are we right now in the United States of having a major food shortage crisis? So yeah, you have to look at the weakest link in the chain, right? Imagine a multi-factor chemical equation or algebra equation. You take one piece of it and you adjust it wrong, you're having a major devastating effect across that whole chain of that formula. So th these kinds of enterprises, this whole ecosystem of agriculture and food production and food delivery and that whole ecosystem you affect one piece of it, you're going to have a dramatic effect. These recalls are, are are crazy. You go to Wendy's on the East Coast, they don't have lettuce. They don't have tomatoes. There's recalls. That It's affecting a lot of people. The the uh, the inputs now, the Ukraine situation, across to Africa, they're having a hard time with uh, fertilizers and wheat. Uh, who didn't thought that Ukraine and uh, Russia were the main exporters of wheat? for a lot of countries. Uh, and Africa's looking now, they're saying, well, it doesn't make any sense. We used to be able to produce our wheat and they're importing a lot of rice and wheat and everything else. And they're starting to look and say, well, this doesn't make any sense. Why are we so reliant on these other countries? 
for an example, you, you talk about vulnerabilities. If you go to the USDA site, the uh, uh, Economic Research Service, ers.usda.gov, and there's some data there. For an example, how much do you think we import of live meat animals? Like last year, 2021, for the whole year, live meat animals. They were importing live meat animals. The U.S. is a net importer, not exporter. We were importing $2.3 billion worth of live meat animals. Imagine. Uh, let's say dairy. We're a big producer on dairy in the U.S., right? Why is the U.S. importing $2.5 billion in dairy last year? Wow. Why is that? Why is that? That's a really good question. We pay farmers not to produce the uh, – yeah, yeah. Uh, Yep. So the uh, that program that they have, uh, natural resources, where they pay a farmer to keep their land in uh, yep. untilled yep. land. Right. It's locked in for 10 years. So the government is subsidizing all these programs. It, it doesn't make any sense. And, and when we are, are importing what we're not producing. Right. I, uh, I won't even get into the politics of that. <laughs> That, that's, but, uh, that is so even when I was a child, I remember when they started those soil conservation programs, et cetera, some of them were good. But when they started paying us not to farm, I, I was I was we, I, we were all were shocked at that. Well, another vulnerability that we have is the GMOs. So imagine a farmer back back many years ago, a farmer used to be able to harvest his soybeans and he would save a portion of what he harvested, dried them and everything, and save them as the planting seeds for the next year. But because companies filed patents on their genetic markers and genetic strains that a farmer couldn't use any of the seeds he harvested from his fields for planting in the next year. That was a violation on the patent rights when he bought that seed and the, the agreement that he entered into with the company that made that seed. So you, now you have chemical companies like DuPont, Bayer, entering into the seed manufacturing business. It's it's crazy. Um, we're about out of time, regretfully. I, I need I need to have you back on again, uh, like so many other guests. Let me fire just some real quick questions and try to give short answers because our, our time is up on this. But uh, oh yeah, we're we're almost done. Yes, I, I interviewed a Dutch farmer, uh, the husband and wife. I interviewed the wife. And she's also a strong, I didn't know when I interviewed her, she was a strong preacher. And boy, she took off preaching. She was remarkable. But in, in the Netherlands, uh, the problem that's happening other places too is they've, sh they've shut down their nitrogen, won't let them use nitrogen. They Secondly, they have demanded that all the farmers get rid of 50% of their cow herd. And, uh, and then also they're saying, we've got so many immigrants coming in that we need your land. You can't have your land anymore. Now we're willing to pay you a good fair Price for it. Well, they don't want to sell multi-generational farms. That land is precious to them. And, and you and I are products of the soil, so we understand the tenderness of that. And, and is that occurring in many countries, number one? And then number two, I'm going to ask a, a, a double-headed question. I, I was talking with a land manager yesterday. I had never met him until yesterday on the phone. We ended up talking a long time. He manages thousands, tens of thousands of acres. He owns a fair amount himself. He's out of the Midwest. He's out of my home state, Kansas. But we just met on phone. Uh, recently. And, and um, 
I said, what's the deal with Bill Gates buying up the farmland and the com and Chinese Communist Party buying up farmland? He said, well, it is happening, that's for sure. He says, right now it's a tiny amount percentage-wise of all the land that's out there. But he's right now it's not a problem, but he says, I suppose it, it could be. So give me some thoughts on those two things and we're gonna have to unfortunately cap off. So food security is a huge thing. Bill Gates knows it. Saudi Arabia bought land and they're producing food in the US that they're shipping back to Saudi Arabia. China's doing the same thing. They're producing food in the US, they're shipping back to China. And then we have to ship their fish and other products here in the US from China. It, it doesn't make any sense, you're right. And trying to figure that out is just mind boggling why that's happening. Um, it's the policy things and stuff like that, we're not getting in politics, but what's right and what's wrong is, is the issue. And being a good steward, uh, what the Judy was talking about before, being a good steward is really important. Yeah. The, okay. uh, you, you and I were together, we met, we, we just met for the first time, as I indicated a few weeks ago at the United Nations at a, at the, uh, a site event uh, in New York City. During the General Assembly there, when all the heads of state gathered from all over, you and I had the privilege of hearing in a small group setting, hearing a number of heads of state speak. And you referenced you're on your way to Guyana. When we were there, we heard the president of Guyana speak. And uh, I think we were both very impressed with him, uh, considerably more than some other heads of state. I'll just put it tactfully that way. Uh, did you make connection with him there or had you been going to Guyana for some time? Well, we made connection with him before when he visited uh, DC. Uh, we had a, a great meeting with him at the embassy um, and talking about the agriculture vision that he has for Guyana. And that's what we were doing is we're going to be bringing hydroponics and aquaponics to Guyana because he knows that he can't get rid of his forests. Uh, his forests are a national treasure for them. Uh, the, the carbon sequestration that the forests have and have done over the years, that's part of his initiative is to get reimbursed for the carbon credit markets for what those forests are consuming in carbon, uh, carbon emissions. Uh, but his, his whole vision is to be a net exporter of food and doing it all indoors without interfering with the environment at all. And so we shouldn't have to rely on our environment for food production. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. You really, uh, you really blessed me. When I get done with interviews like this, I have this intense frustration. I wish I knew what you knew. There was just so much I don't know. The older I get, the dumber I get. I just don't, I'm exposed to all this knowledge that I really want to know. So uh, Lawrence, expect me to reestablish contact with you. Uh, if people, I, I recognize what you do is industrial, commercial, very large scale, and you go to the countries. If people want to, as we close this off, if, if people want to go to your website and see what you're doing, what is the website? It's uh, www.schafer, S-C-H, A-E-F-E-R, global, so schaferglobal.com. And Jim, tell you what, if you want to organize a working session, like a training session online, like a webinar, I'd be more than happy to come on and do a webinar to do some training for folks to explain these these systems so that people can build these at their own house using their own supplies that they could buy at the store. Offer accepted. That's not a subject up prayer. It's an answer to prayer. <laughs> You have just committed yourself to a training session, sir. <laughs> okay. well, Lawrence, I'm so delighted I, I met you recently, and, and thank you for coming 
on this. You are a blessing indeed. We're going to go in. But Father, I pray blessing over Lawrence. I pray blessing as he goes and meets with the president of Guyana or in, the, in that country and all that he does and all the countries he's traveling to. Would you release upon him supernatural knowledge, even how to supply more food for more people upon this earth? That brings a great smile to the heart of the Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the WellVersed podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.